You're listening to episode 52 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today's episode is all about raising strong, confident kids, and I'm joined by Dr. Louise Medcalf. Today's chat, she shares some wonderful value as she talks about what it really means to raise a strong, confident child and how do we do that anyway in some really simple, everyday ways, whether it's as a parent or carer or whether it's as an educator. She also shares some great tips on how to best support kids during change, which is certainly particularly applicable to this year with COVID. And and then she moves on to talking about some wonderful developments in technology and how she's looked at a very innovative way to empower children in a way that really complements children in growing with strength and with confidence. So how about we get this chat started with Dr. Louise Metcalf. Dr. Louise Metcalf is a psychologist with about 30 years of experience helping people create better lives and healthier brains. Louise has worked in multiple sectors as a psychologist and has a keen interest in positive psychological change. Louise values the way one individual can make a difference and has a strong interest in brain health and resilience. After years of supporting children with anxiety and mental well-being, Louise had the idea for a robot that can help kids with their anxiety. Now launched in app form, George, the friendly robot, empowers children with emotional intelligence and mental well-being through check-ins and meditation exercises. Dr. Louise Metcalf, welcome to Chat About Children. Thank you, Sonia. It's a real pleasure to be here to chat with you today. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, look, we're going to talk about a very interesting and important topic, and that is raising strong and confident kids. And I know that there's a lot to say about this topic. Now, before we launch into it, Louise, can you cast your mind back to that day or that moment that you decided you wanted to be a psychologist? What prompted that? Oh my goodness, this is a bit of a a bit of a strange story because I didn't even want to go to uni. I wanted actually to be an electrician. <laughs> wow. Well, we need electricians. I'm not saying we don't need psychologists, but we do need electricians too. So what it's happened? <laughs> well. All my friends were doing the HSC, so I thought I may as well do it anyway and hang around a bit longer with my friends and didn't really bother with it much, but got the letter that I actually got into university and I thought, oh gosh, I suppose I better go now. (laughs) (laughs) And when I did, you know, I had absolutely no planning of, you know, what subjects I would do. So I picked my subjects at random, which is really scary. Now I look back on that now, I think, oh my gosh, that was (laughs) crazy, but yeah, one of the subjects was psychology. And the, the first lesson I did, the first lecture, I remember sitting there thinking, wow, I love this subject. I don't know where this can take me, but I just love it. So I just fell in love with psychology from that day, from that moment. Wow. So it was meant to be, obviously. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's sort of just completely unplanned, but it was the right path. Absolutely. I love what I do. Great story. And Louise, you've been now a psychologist for about 30 years, which is a pretty admirable dedication and commitment to the profession. What's kept you motivated all this time? 
Yeah, when I started, it was such a long time ago, you could pretty much, you could do a lot really without all the formalities kind of being lined up. So I did a lot of things, you know, I did every kind of counselling that I could possibly get into. So, and I did that because by then, you know, you've done four years of study and I did mine a bit longer because I travelled around a little bit going to multiple universities and really meeting a lot of very interesting people and so much about people and you know a lot about cultures as well as a lot of multicultural stuff in my degree and I was just absolutely fascinated by them absolutely fascinated and I still am today I respect the hell out of everybody young old you know anybody that walks through my door because I I know you know it's it's a big deal to go and see a psych and everybody's story is so interesting you know We live in our own stories, so we don't particularly feel our own story is very interesting. But actually, so many different ways to live, so many different childhoods, so many different experiences of life. Yeah, it's like like living amongst the most amazing stories every day. It's such a great job. Absolutely. I'd imagine it's very inspiring. It is. Yeah, it really is. There are these moments I always think the person I'm talking to works a lot harder than I do, you know, in in any session. And they have the homework to do as well. So, you know, it's a lot of work. But yeah, they come back and there's great stories of change and achievement. And you just feel very honoured to be a part of that story. Wonderful. Well, keep doing what you're doing, Louise. Thank you. (laughs) So today, let's get to raising strong and confident kids. Now, how about we kick off with you telling us what that actually really means? Yeah, so strong and confident kids, right? Most people sort of shorthand that to kind of being resilient. And there's so many definitions of what resilient means. It could be encyclopedia in itself these days. There's just so many. But my take on it is really about adaptability in challenging times. So just knowing that difficult things will come your way because life does that and you have some resources that you know you can go to to navigate those kinds of you know choppy waters, those difficult territories. So that's my take on that really. And so what would you deem to be the ingredients that are the makings of a strong, confident child? Yeah, it's a few things. It's really when it comes down to it, it's really knowing that you are enough as you are. You know, there's lots of messages around these days about how, you know, if you look a certain way, if you act a certain way, if you do a certain thing, you're somehow more valuable. But the truth is we're all valuable. You know, human beings are amazing and, you know, Each one of us, there's actually a mathematical theorem about that, by the way. We really, really are unique. (laughs) It's evidence-based, right? Excellent. Yes, yes. (laughs) It's the number of variables, right? There's like so many, we're totally unique. So it's a brilliant thing when you really think about that. It does give you this sense of possibility, right? So if you can just know that your combination of personality, of values, of strengths, the bits and pieces that are kind of quirky about you, you know, they're so unique. You can trust that you do fit, you know, there's a reason for that. And there is, you know, your life is going to kind of show that as you go through it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, would you say though, to some degree that some kids are more naturally inclined to be strong and confident than other kids? Yes, this might be a little shocking, but I would say no. <laughs> hmm, interesting. All right, tell yeah. us more. Well, there is some research in this area where there's a bit of discussion about, you know, yes, possibly. And there's a lot of sort of biological stuff they kind of throw into that, you know, the organic stuff about the brain. And, you know, that's a possibility. But if you put people in challenging circumstances, you know, we all have to learn to navigate our way out of it and or through it. And you cannot just be born with that. You have to actually learn it. So I would say no. I think some kids have circumstances or people around them that kind of gives them a little bit of edge, you know, and that's pretty strong in the resilience literature as well. If you've got somebody around you who is a real supporter, who really, you know, helps you to thrive as, a, as an individual human being, it does make a big difference. So I would say, yeah, that's the big difference. It's the support structures around you, not that you yourself are particularly, you know, have this kind of resilienceness inside you. Interesting. I find that really interesting because I feel like sometimes, as we all know, there's a tendency for people to label kids as she's really confident or he's a bit shy or so there's always labels that are just getting shot out all the time. And, you know, and that's a really common one as to whether someone's confident or shy or whatever it might be. So that really challenges that, Louise, which is good because it might make us, I guess, potentially just a little bit more mindful about how we consider or what words we consider to use around our kids to label them. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, if, if that's kind of the result, then I love it because labels really aren't that helpful. They give, often give kids a sense of something that they have to kind of be rather than what they are. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of just kind of really looking at the person, you know, doesn't matter what age really, as an individual, you know. Yep, nice. So basically we look at there's, I guess, opportunities for practice when it comes to that resilience toolkit or that adaptability. I like adaptability actually, so we'll go with that. So those skills, those adaptability skills will refine and will grow and will develop with opportunities for practice. Is that pretty much the summary there? Absolutely. Yeah. If we can give kids a sense that, you know, like as is actually appropriate to react to challenging situations, you know, it's appropriate to kind of to have a moment of struggle, that's actually okay. That's totally normal. And to progress through that in terms of learning what you do next and knowing that you can use your strengths and even what you value and some of your personality maybe to actually, you know, travel through those difficult times. Absolutely. Awesome. And it also sounds a little bit like what you're saying is to reset some of the expectations that might be there underlying that might be a bit unrealistic. So if kids, adults, like everybody actually realizes that life is not meant to be amazing all the time, and we have that understanding, then it does make it not such a shock to the system, not kind of downplaying any challenges, but you're kind of going, okay, well, this is part of life and I need to adapt and respond. Is that kind of where you're also coming from that angle of expectations of what is typical? Yeah, absolutely. If we can normalize the learning process, you know, that it's okay to kind of fall over 
and, you know, and then learn about how you get up and what's the best way for you to get up. You know, it just makes things so much better for kids. It makes things a lot easier because you're not so stuck on the idea that you did actually fall over. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So have you observed any kind of pattern over all the years of working with kids, any kind of pattern as as to what you think might be going on regularly or frequently that might impede kids or slow down that development of kind of building those adaptability skills? Yeah, look, I think there is some stuff that's kind of stacked against kids these days that we probably didn't have in our childhood. But having said that, I was an anxious kid. I was undiagnosed as anxious, but obviously as a psych kind of went, oh, okay, (laughs) (laughs) seeing it now. (laughs) So it's not like it sort of happened for, you know, other generations, but the current, a lot of kids are a lot more anxious and UNICEF have published some very recent work around the numbers that they think are anxious. So quite high indeed, which is quite shocking. But it's, you know, it's the pandemic. But even before the pandemic, the rates were up to around about 10 to 20 percent. There's a bit of disagreement among the epidemiologists. So that's quite bad in itself, really. We didn't need the pandemic to make that worse at all. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So why do you think mental health issues are being observed in actually, you know, younger and younger kids? What are your thoughts on this? You mentioned things are stacked up against them. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things like I think we do live in a less secure world. You know, a lot of adults don't have secure jobs anymore and kids do pick that up. You know, they do see that stuff. So it is around them. We also have a lot of hyperconnectivity these days. So, you know, they can pick up any news item really. I actually advocate for limiting the news, you know, while you're in a pandemic with kids and even a little bit outside a pandemic just because we are swamped in it. But look, they can find it on the internet anytime, anyway. So, and they are, they are doing that. Kids do that. They're curious about the internet. So most kids are surfing the internet a little bit and seeing stuff that maybe parents would not choose for them to see. Mm. So hyperconnectivity is definitely an interesting problem. There's also a lot of kids like to be constantly available on their devices And obviously, we like kids not to have their devices on, you know, 24-7. But sometimes kids feel very pressured to be very connected, to know what their friends are saying about them all the time. So that's also part of that. And, of course, linked to that, social media. Mm. And, yeah, I'm sure this comes up a lot. It is a very strong factor. Instagram particularly is very unhealthy probably because it idealizes so much. So again, you lose that component of it's normal to fall down. You know, it's normal to have faults. It's normal to have errors. It's normal to have a pimple. Yes, absolutely. Acne, good old acne. I know. (laughs) I know. Yeah, sorry, I just had to throw that in there. Didn't mean to throw you off course there, Louise, but yes, keep going. So Instagram particularly, yes. Yes, totally. Social media, right? The focus on perfectionism, it's very strong. It's very prevalent. You know, we had that earlier generations, but it was a lot more limited. You know, it was in your going back a bit Dolly magazine, you know? Yeah. 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 Oh, I remember Dolly. (laughs) It was good, wasn't it? Dolly, the good old day. Yeah. Yeah. But you put it down, right? You put it down and walk away. Whereas 
these days, yeah, that is so much harder. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's actually stacked against kids at the moment. Yeah, there's lots to work through. And, and when we say stacked against kids, that obviously includes parents and carers and educators because, you know, we're all within the child's world, obviously, and have to manoeuvre all of that in our own different contexts and ways. Yeah. So, Louise, how, this is a big question, but how do we best support kids you know, during COVID, it's been a really interesting year and I'm sure you've talked about it a lot, but have you got a few kind of top ways to provide support? Yeah, my big tip is always limiting the news a bit just because it is so strong and so negative and it can really affect you. And a lot of it, I say that to a lot of parents and they sort of heave a sigh of relief and, oh, I can do that for myself as well. So that's a lot of apologies to that. And also it's good to kind of use this time to talk about challenging circumstances and how we navigate those things, maybe as individuals, but also as a family or as a group, how we can, you know, pool resources and work together and get through, you know, challenging times like this. So there's heaps of opportunity here as well. And also I find it's really good to just, you know, because we're slowing down, we have to, you know, and some of us are locked in pretty much, locked down, and some of us are, you know, still pretty much locked down given that you still can't do a lot of things. It's a good time to just slow down, practice a little bit of, you know, relaxation or restorative stuff. You know, a lot of people talk about meditation. That is such a great idea. Teach kids how to meditate. Teach kids how to just stop and breathe. And that is so useful in so many areas of life, you know, just using breath to kind of get through anything difficult, even something painful. So those techniques just really set you up for life. And it's a good opportunity to really use those now. Same for parents. So one of the temptations for parents right now is to kind of overwork a bit. So, you know, if your kids aren't at school because you're in lockdown, you are overworking. You're doing essentially two jobs in the one day, usually, which is a lot of work. That's pretty exhausting. But you cannot sacrifice on your own self-care when you do that. So it's actually, you should prioritize your own self-care as you go, which is a challenge, definitely, but totally worth it. I've had people schedule in one hour of mental health care and they, they go for their walk or they just use it to have a nice bath, you know, whatever kind of works for you. And it just gets them through. So it's a very, very good thing to do. I know it's a challenge, but it should be top of the list. Fantastic. And right there, you've given a really lovely summary. It's not a huge list, but some core aspects that are really their tools that are going to contribute to your child building that you know, strength and that confidence. And if I'm going to just summarize it, it would be communication, which was one. The second one would be the meditation tool. So a real hands-on strategy. This is what I can reach for right now and do. And then the third one was about, you know, for parents, carers and educators, modeling self-care, modeling it, showing your child, this is what I'm actually doing to help me manage and navigate this time. And obviously our kids learn so much from the role modeling. They're great. Top three tips. Thank you, Louise. That's excellent. So if we're going to kind of build from that, how do we help kids to know their strengths? So we've kind of covered the foundation, those top three tips, which are excellent basis for strength and confidence in kids. 
how do we get them to be more aware of their strengths apart from just saying it? <laughs> like <Yeah>. hopefully <laughs> authentically and honestly. I think that's really important, by the way. You may have gone into that, but yeah, I think honesty is really important. Just saying. We don't want to give them false hope and expectation on something that's not quite accurate. But anyway, I'll let you do the talking, Louise. So how do kids know their strengths and find ways to use them? Yeah, look, it's a big difference between strengths and talents, right? So talents, we'll put those to the side for now and talk about strengths. A talent would be, you know, you're really good at maths, for example. That's a great talent. But it's something that develops over time, you know, that takes practice. Nobody is born knowing how to do algebra. So, <laughs> yep. so what is, but there's lots of personality stuff behind that. If you're really great at maths, you're, you know, you've practiced a lot. So you probably have a little bit of dedication, you know, a little bit of discipline. And that is a strength. So those are the things you want to spot, the personality stuff, you know, that really shows you what your kid can do and just pointing that out to them. They don't have to be stellar at it. They don't have to be so disciplined that, hey, they could walk into the army tomorrow and tell them how to do it. But, they, you know, they could show that little bit of, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to finish this before I move on to the next thing. And if you notice that, you can draw their attention to it and get them to recognize how useful that is. You know, wow, that's amazing. You know, you're really disciplined. You're going to sit down here and finish that before you move on to the next thing. That's really helpful in life. Great work. You know, um, drawing their attention to it. By the way, it's also really important to kind of use that sort of more heightened voice because, you know, a lot of what kids experience in life, a lot of how adults communicate is pretty flat language, pretty boring to kids. <laughs> oh, speak for yourself, Louise. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, present company accepted. <laughs> All right, move on, continue, yes. <laughs> and the kids, if they really want to, if you really want them to actually kind of remember, you have to sort of heighten that voice a little bit to really get their attention and get them to see that this is actually a special message for them. And yeah, it's not about perfection. It's just spotting those little moments when you can see your kid's personality kind of shining that little bit and you can help them to see that this is a real strength in life that they can use to carry them through. Wonderful. So it's being specific with our language at the time that whatever's happening is happening and we give that specific feedback if we can yeah. in that time. And I like that. And then using when you use the word disciplined, then that is broad enough that they can go, okay, well, I'm disciplined. So now I can also do ABC apart from it being valuable in maths. So yeah, that's nice. I like that. I like that. So it sounds like, you know, catching it in the moment, labeling it, using our voice, that different intonation for them to recognize this is a different message incoming. So, you know, pay attention. Any other things or do, is that kind of the main way to approach them having that knowledge and that self-awareness of strengths? Yeah, that's the best way to do it. And also it can be really useful to just give them a little touch as well. Like obviously parent to child, you might kind of give them a little hug, you know, and go, that's amazing, you know, and teachers can sort of touch the lower arm. So yeah, a little bit of touch also draws their attention to this is actually a very important thing and something that I need to put into my memory that I can use later. Yeah, definitely. It's really all about making those patterns in memory that help kids to kind of recognize 
what their strengths are and when their strengths are useful so that they can pull them out and off they go. Yes, and it can take a little bit of conscious practice, can I say, for parents and carers, often because, you know, there's that busyness in life and sometimes we just have an expectation that, you know, a child may do, you know, task A or activity A. And so then, you know, there's opportunity there that could potentially be missed because you kind of, well, I expected you to do activity A and you've done it. Great. Let's move on. So I think that it takes a bit of conscious practice and attention, doesn't it, to just notice things, to be able to catch them in time. And also another way you can do this is in a quiet moment, maybe on a Friday evening, you know, when you're just cooling down from the week, you can take your kid aside a little bit and just tell them a little bit of what you've noticed during the week, you know, what you've really liked about them as a person and what they've done in their week. You know, it helps them to recognise some real self-worth. And by sort of generalising it a little bit, you do help them to see that it's not always about just what they do, but it is about also who they are, which is a very powerful message. It's a little bit complex for younger kids, but as kids get older, they start to find those messages even better because they've already got the ones that are directly about behavior. So those bits that I, I just like you as a person, I like that you're curious, you know, I think that's amazing. Look what you can do, you know, what you have discovered, look at what you're talking to me about, listen to that, that's amazing. And it's all because you have this curiosity and I just really like that about you. And that is a very powerful message for kids. Lovely. And it is, it's super important. One that I find myself doing sometimes is thanking my children. I do that quite often, but inauthentic way. You know, when it's, there's opportunity for them to say, whinge or complain about something, like if we're in traffic or if we're waiting in line or if we're doing something, I know that they're really not enjoying that and just going to thank you guys for being so patient. And just, I use that gratitude in those moments where I know that... <laughs> They'd rather be doing something else and it's not their cup of tea. But I feel that that can sometimes be a good opportunity as well because it is a life skill. You know, again, these are things that happen that are unexpected, but communicating that can be really valuable. Absolutely. Yeah, gratitude is so powerful. You can do gratitude in so many different ways. And with kids, an adult thanking them for something that they've done, even if they haven't really noticed that they've been doing it, it just gives them such a huge lift, you know. That's really, that is terrific for self-confidence. And also, yes, great role modelling. So if, if you want to get a thank you one day from your, from your kid, you need to thank your kid. And if, if you want to get a sorry one, one day from your kid, you need to say sorry to your kid too. And that's quite a, you know, a real sort of, you know, light bulb moment for a lot of people to really get that it comes back to you, but you have to role model it first. Yes, yes. So how about ways to continue fostering that confidence and that flow in everyday life? Help us understand that a little bit more. Yeah, so kids are amazing, right? They're always doing something. We adults are so distracted, though. We really are. We're incredibly distracted. And you can spend your whole day just, you know, obviously trying to get stuff done, life admin, you know, so many things and miss a lot. So I think it's also a great little space to get some mindfulness 
you know, mindfulness is so healthy for adults and we don't do enough of it. We don't do nearly enough of it. Even if you put meditation in your day, you're still probably not doing enough mindfulness. So this is a, these like finding moments to actually, you know, notice the strengths that your kids showing to say thank you for something that maybe even they didn't notice they were doing that was great. You know, put down your device, have a moment where you just pay attention to what your kid is doing. Yeah, you'll be surprised about what you pick up. The other thing that kind of underlies all of this is actually what you value too. So it's worthwhile as an adult getting to know your own personal values because whether you're conscious of them or not, you are actually delivering those. You are showing those to your children. And they're the things that you pick up on too. Like if you value and it's sort of an adherence to the rules, then you'll be showing that to your kids. If you value a real sort of sense of novelty and creativity about the world and maybe even to the rules, you'll be showing that to your kid as well, right? So if you're more conscious of that, then there's much more chance that A, you'll notice that some of those things that they do is a strength. And also when it doesn't work out because we have those moments, right? You won't feel like your child is kind of letting you down. You'll notice it and go, oh, I get that. That connects to my values. I can see how my kid is actually trying to show me that they're actually, you know, working hard to be really to really fit in my life to show me my values so it's a really healthy thing to actually know your values as well yeah yeah absolutely now I know right at the start we talked about opportunities for practice right with adaptability and building those skills are there other suggested ways that you know every day that parents and carers can nurture that strengthen that confidence I know we've already touched on quite a few but any other everyday ways that we can do that yeah so when was the last time you deliberately did something you knew you were crap at (laughs) are you asking me to answer that (laughs) (laughs) can you think of one this is actually a really hard question for an adult when was the last time I did something that I was really crap at yeah you knew you knew you were bad at it but you were going to do it anyway oh I'd have to think about that it's really hard I'm not saying I avoid those. What good? <laughs> not saying I avoid those. Actually, you know what? It was probably on the weekend and it did probably reinforce that I was crap at it, but it's okay. And that I probably needed to delegate that task. That's what I learned from that. <laughs> See, that's great. That is a really great little micro case study there of teaching resilience because there's heaps of stuff in the world that, yeah, we're crap at, right? But the truth is adults normally can get around it. You know, we delegate it or, you know, we hire somebody to do it for us or, you know, we buy it, you know. (laughs) We've figured out our little workarounds. We've barely noticed them now, you know. As a result, if you're not actually challenging yourself to do things that are, you know, are actually going to cause you to, you know, be bad at something, kids can have this misrepresentation in their heads that actually life should be kind of, you know, pretty smooth sailing, pretty nothing happens, you know, nothing challenging happens, or as an adult, nothing challenging happens to you. And that's a pretty tall mountain to climb. If you think about it from a kid's perspective, they might think to themselves, oh, I'm never going to get there. 
you know, I struggled to read. How am I going to be as great as my parent is in life? Everything just kind of works for them, right? Yeah, so it is so much better for parents to kind of go, you know what, I'm going to learn the violin this year. Never tried it before. (laughs) It's going to sound awful, but I'm going to show my kid that this is what learning looks like. And there are days when you kind of go, I really hate the violin, but (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) Oh, I like that example. I can play the violin, by the way. And you remind me of when, say, my son started learning the guitar. I took that as the opportunity to say, this is awesome. You can teach me because I'm quite big on learning through play. And my kids do learn lots of stuff that they can, you know, they're in a great position to be teaching me and I can learn from them. But you're right. I think getting in there and showing that role modeling and just diving in and saying, let's give this a go, let's explore and whatever will be, will be, is really valuable. So I do like that example. Yeah, it's such fun too. The more you kind of do that, the more you kind of like doing it. You're like, oh, it's going to be a nightmare, but we just have to do this and it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the sillies on. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. it's good. It's good. So look, in an ideal world, Louise, you know, this is all happening, you know, with parents and carers paying attention and using specific language and, you know, role modeling as best they can, uh, not perfectly, but as best they can. But, you know, it's not the case in, in many home environments. So what is your advice there? Are we then looking more to educators? Because certainly, you know, as a parent carer, there's enough pressures already in the world. So, I mean, what's your advice to a parent that might be listening, kind of going, oh, that's just too much? Or, you know what, there's bigger, I should say bigger fish to fry, but, you know, more important things going on in our home environment and context right now that I'm not really in a position to focus on this stuff. Tell us more about that kind of environment or context. Yes, it's a really old saying, but it is still very, very true. It takes a village to raise a child. So it can be like in our very individualized modern world, we can buy into the notion that, you know, it is all about the parent. The parent does everything. You know, if something isn't working, it must be the parent's fault. No, actually, it takes a village to raise a child. So absolutely, the team around you is what you want to go to. You know, the educators, maybe there's some health professionals, maybe there's uncles and aunts, you know, look around you, see the people around you that are part of your child's life already, maybe, or that you can bring into your child's life to really give them the support that they need. So it's the village. Yeah. It is all about the village. Yeah. I think this is one of the things that could also be a bit of a variable in sort of showing the increases in rates of childhood anxiety too, is that we don't have that perspective anymore about the village and we really need it. A lot of kids these days do talk about the effects of climate change and not wanting to be too controversial, but what their thought process is, you know, wow, this is a big problem. And there's a lot of adults, some of them are very powerful, who are just not doing anything about it, right? So again, it's the village. The village needs to kind of go, well, you know, we need to suck it up as adults and actually, you know, tackle some of these big problems. So you see how these pieces kind of fit together. There's the immediate kind of context around kind of people around the the child that you can go to help them immediately right now. And there's also these bigger things that they are paying attention to that actually do require some thought as well in terms of how that supports children as well. So 
Yeah, it's all interrelated. That's what makes this, you know, the causes discussion of childhood anxiety and why it's sort of escalating so much, why that makes that so challenging. But I think in the end, it just comes down to that village notion. And the more we can see it, the more we can, you know, take those little actions within it. And it does make a big difference. It really, really helps kids. Absolutely. Yeah. And being proactive in creating community. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's huge. Absolutely huge. So there's obviously been developments in technology. They're coming to the forefront in helping to complement that strength building. And as I mentioned in the intro, I know you recently launched the George app. Now, how did that come about and why? Yeah, so it's funny, isn't it? As a when you're, you know, doing your day-to-day health practitioner psych stuff, you might notice things are kind of increasing, but If you're like me anyway, you just kind of go, oh, it's probably the times, you know, it'll pass or something, you know. I just kind of explained it away to myself. But when I had my own child, those conversations about childhood anxiety, you know, actually were were all around me. They were sort of what early childhood educators, his early childhood educators, but also their their contacts and, and their contacts wanted to talk about. And it was started to scare me a little bit. It's actually the condition in childhood that has the most challenging prognosis for adult mental health. So we know that it needs to be tackled. And as I looked into the rates of childhood anxiety, it also made me question how we would go as a workforce in terms of actually being able to help that number of kids. And looking at the two alongside each other, it was really clear that we're just not going to be able to do that not unless we quadruple the, the health practitioner programs around the country. And that would be impossible. That would create huge quality assurance pro, uh, problems. So the best option is really to maximise the time with the human being. And the best way to do that is actually through technology. But it's the sort of technology that does kind of focus on the humans. You know, we build a lot of technology because it seems good at the time or it kind of, you know, might support some of our you know, kind of addictive tendencies. Social media is a good example of that. Mm-hmm. But social media is not a bad idea in total. You know, to stay in touch with your friends is a great idea. There's just some bits in it that, yeah, really weren't created for, you know, with human mental health in mind and that creates problems. So technology that links, you know, practitioners or health professionals to families in really healthy ways that actually supports the family, that's what we really needed. And that was clear to me as I sort of took this journey of looking at these sort of workforce issues alongside the rates of childhood anxiety. So... I realized, of course, that nobody was doing this. There's some amazing companies out there and they do amazing kind of meditation and mindfulness things, but their technology is not built for kids and certainly not built with this healthy human mind philosophy. So even though I'm a psychologist and, you know, pro like coding, oh my gosh. Yep, that's where the reaching out to support came in. Yep. Oh, there's my village. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, I knew George had to kind of happen. And with all these amazing people, George was created. So, what's the objective of George? George has a very simple mission. 
his job, he's just a little robot. He's very, very sweet and wise. And his job is just to help kids to build resilience and to deal with anxiety. So very, very simple, but it's so powerful. So we weave a little bit of therapy into him. And that's all about positive psychology, literally kind of creating these sort of memory connections for kids so that they can have that resilience through life, really. George has this philosophy to kind of, you know, help kids kind of learn stuff for life. But he's very, very deliberately non-addictive, which is sort of new, I think, for kids' technology. But as a mom, I'm a mom myself, so I just thought that was such an important aspect of George. I'd never want my child to be addicted to any form of technology. So we had to do things differently, you know, which is a challenge. But as a result, I think George is, he's very different and he's very lovely. You know, he's charming. He's attractive rather than addictive. Okay. An attractive robot. Excellent. Robot. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. But I think what, you know, and I'm just kidding there, but obviously he's, well, I don't know, but, you know, attractiveness is subjective. But anyway, so, but what you're saying there is it's attractive for kids to participate, to partake, you get some compliance, I guess, there's that ability for them to learn some valuable tools that complement what is going on in real life. It's not replacing it per se. Have you had some feedback from kids that you can share with us at all? Yeah, we've had such amazing feedback from kids and parents as well. So kids have told us that they just love talking to George. Like he's very sweet. He's kind of the, they tell us he's the friend that they kind of always wanted. You know, he's just, he's very simple. So he's quite uncomplicated. And I think that really helps in terms of, you know, someone that you just want to talk to. And of course, he's quite childlike. He's just very beautifully designed. And yeah, he just delivers very sweet and simple messages. And he has very sweet friends as well. We use the friends to kind of help to demonstrate how the therapies work, how to help kids to kind of think through difficult stuff. And he works with his friends. He talks to his friends in very lovely ways. So it's this very kind, beautiful world. And having said that, we actually want kids to only spend like a few minutes with George a day, maybe five minutes, you know. So it's not about spending huge amounts of time on the app. It's actually just about getting those really, you know, right messages at the right time that can really help kids build these sort of stronger neural nets for resilience. Yeah. And if it's a few minutes a day, I guess it's building that pattern of behavior in and it's building a habit in. And then you'd like to think that those ways to think through things, to problem solve, to reflect, that's just as they're practiced a little each day. And I like the sound of it because I think that often there is concern about is this going to replace the human communication that does need to happen because a parent will be kind of going well I want I might want my child to talk to me not tell George everything yeah sure tell George some stuff but then I want to know some stuff too you know like how do you balance that out Louise? Absolutely yeah we want kids to really talk to their parents you know in fact the exercises in the app are designed to get kids better at talking about emotions and being able to say specifically what they're actually feeling and then be able to sort of say, well, this is, you know, what's led me to feeling that, you know, what the kind of in inverted commas cause would be, right? So it's actually getting kids to be better communicators. So it would be a real sort of, you know, flop if then they didn't actually use that, right? 
So we actually, you know, we talk about trusted adults. We encourage kids to go and talk to their trusted adults. And George does that. It's like, it might be a good idea to go and talk to your trusted adult about this. Yeah. And here's some language that you can use. Yeah, to help adults understand, you know, sometimes the way that kids phrase things, maybe the way that they're feeling or some of the things that they're experiencing is actually quite hard for adults to kind of get specifically what they're trying to get at. So George just helps to kind of bridge that communication gap a little bit and really facilitate that communication. And that's true for, you know, if you have a treating professional that is helping your child as well, he helps to kind of facilitate that as well so that there's more information that the treating professional can have if you choose to give that knowledge to them. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it makes sense because the way you're describing it, there's those opportunities for practice for the child. It's giving them the confidence because then they're kind of learning and practicing the language around it. And then it also is building that self-awareness so that they're kind of going, oh, this is what's going on for me. And they're feeling, I guess, that strength of that empowerment and that readiness to be able to communicate it to someone else. So yeah, that's really cool. And taking those exercises and taking them back to their parents. So they'll, they'll be saying to their parents, you know, if, if parents are kind of having a bad moment, they say, let's do some breathing exercises. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Can you think of something good that happened today? Which is <laughs> like, great, really great. Excellent. No, that's fantastic, Louise. So look, we've covered a lot of fantastic, valuable info today. So Louise, what would be your take-home message for parents and carers listening? I think it's wise to be aware that anxiety is on the rise. But my take-home message is don't look at that and kind of go, you know, that's, oh, that's awful, you know, and feel deflated. Instead, Look around at all the amazing people that are helping kids in this space right now. And I know there's a lot of educators and schools that are really focused on this area as well. They're all around you. So find them, go and talk to them, engage with them, bring them into the village, your child's village, and really maximize all that good stuff around you. It is all around you. So that's my main message. Build the village. And yeah, George can be part of the village, but yeah, there's, it should be quite big. The village should be big. Yeah. So keep working on it. What about for the educators listening, both the early childhood and school educators, what would be your take home message, particularly thinking about, you know, kind of nurturing the strong, confident kid? We are actually at the moment really interested in talking to educators about this particular process. Because we want to give schools some way of doing this every day in the school, which is a lot easier. So I'd love to talk to them if they're at all, you know, keen to have time. But my message there as well is to, I know teaching is just so flat chat these days, right? The curriculum is so full, but I think it's worthwhile kind of, you know, finding those little spaces in teaching where you can actually just allow kids to, I know it's tiny, but you can allow kids to solve problems in their own way. You know, there are a million, million ways, a million, trillion ways maybe to solve any given problem. And sometimes we can get hooked into just one method, which can be so hard for a lot of kids because it may not be using their strengths. But if you look at a problem and think, actually, there's probably a million ways to solve this problem. 
then there's probably lots of strengths that can be used to do that. And I think using that as an educator really, really helps to keep kids, you know, loving learning in the classroom and get them to really see that they do have a lot of strengths that they use at school. And school can feel really good and empowering. Yeah, that is fantastic. So Louise, how can listeners learn more about you and George? Well, come to the website. Everyone says that, but it's so, such an easy way to connect. So George is spelled G-H-E-O-R-G, which is a little unusual, but it's an acronym. So it's Gentle to Humans, Emotion and Thought, Organisation and Resilience Guide. I couldn't fit the T in. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that would have been a different name then, wouldn't it? It wouldn't have sounded as good, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So did you tell us your website? Yeah. So it's www.george.com. Very easy. George.com. G-H-E-O-R-G. Cool. Wonderful. Well, Louise, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure having you join us on today's Chat About Children episode. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Sonia. It's brilliant. A wonderful chat there with a very dedicated, committed and passionate psychologist, Dr. Louise Medcalf. Now, if you would like to access today's show notes, please do check out chataboutchildren.com and remember to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. Also, I would love for you to share this episode with family, friends and with colleagues who you know will benefit from the information. I thank you so much for your attention. I celebrate you and I look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich, www.chataboutchildren.com. Com, com, com.